And it's unfortunate that you have the people on the sidewalk screaming at four, four cops on Floyd's head to de-escalate de the situation. Cops, the, the, the public is trying to de-escalate. The public. And they're supposed to be professional police officers. Welcome to Unprovoked Tangents, the podcast. Where our topics have a focus, but, but our, our tangents, tangents don't. don't. Tune in weekly as we discuss life, love, fashion, politics, and so much more. We're waking up to another day of sadness, mm-hmm. um, of protests, of... I don't even know anymore. Like, I'm, I'm actually tired of the hashtags, I'm tired of of the, I mean, I was blowing up my IG, going right. crazy. I then went and text messaged every friend that I, I have that might feel connected to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, Good, because, you did your part. Yeah. That's commendable. Um, it's crazy. I mean, we're at a point where, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. I'm at a loss for my finger movements on my phone. Uh, I'm in a white, and I'm a white guy. You know, and mm-hmm. I, and I my the pain and the sorrow that I I can only empathize with uh, or even sympathize at this point, right? Being detached right. of of how it truly feels. I mean, any tears that come down my face are are, are the millions of tears that we as a black community have been crying for almost four hundred years, if not more. Yeah. Um, and it's funny that it's funny that you mentioned that too because. I was actually talking to my grandma who we spoke about um, many times on the show. And I said to her, I was like, and she's 90, just for the context of our listeners, she's 90. So she has seen a lot of stuff, right? She's seen, you know, from the 20s and the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, civil rights movement, police brutality, um, you know. And I said, grandma, can you believe what's happening? And she's like, Jen, she's like, Yes, I can, because I lived through it. But at this time, she's like, it's sad for me in my 90 years that I still have not seen any resolution. In her 90 years of existence, she still hasn't seen the big resolution. I mean, we've seen peaks where we've, we've seen President Barack Obama be the first president, right? We've seen peaks in, in that yeah. regard. I don't know if we've seen peaks so, so much, but we've seen moments that were achieved that nobody ever thought would happen. Correct. And I think also, you know, just looking at 2020 as a whole, it's been a bad year for everyone so far. And we're six months in. It's been double worse for the black community, because if you think about it, coronavirus has disproportionately affected the black community and people of color. Um, and now com- combine that with what happened with the senseless murder of George Floyd and the lack of reaction and action taking place by that police force to properly arrest him and arrest those officers. I mean, it's a total outpour, but I even talking to my friends, it's like, we go back and forth. We're sad. We cried, but this is like the 18 cry that we've had in the last couple of months, right? We've had this cry before for Ahmad. We've had this cry before for Breonna Taylor just this year alone. We've had this cry before Eric Gardner. We've had this cry for Sean Bell. We've had these cries for Emmett Till and and all these folks. And there's a couple of different emotions, tired, numb, saddened, angry, upset. 
And we, we just think about all of these things. And honestly, at this point, it's our fight, but we cannot do this alone. We cannot do this alone. And I'm glad to see that even my friends that are white are like, whoa, this is a wake up call to us. And I commend them because they are like, Jen, I, I didn't know how bad it was until they saw the video where they literally saw this man being completely compliant, not struggling, not fighting back a police officer and literally being murdered in front of everyone's eyes. Or you also have on the flip side, the Amy Coopers of the world who are making falsified calls to the police officer, uh, to the police saying that she, her life is being threatened by an African-American man, which it is not. Right. Yeah, you know, you talk about change, you talk about tears over the years, over the decades. What's interesting for me as an as an outsider on this problem, right, is I've witnessed my own share of these things over the years. And, and ex- even as far as I re- my earliest memory in 1990, when I first saw Do the Right Thing. And mm-hmm. I remember watching that movie and it changed my life. I, if I ever met Spike Lee, I would have to let him know that movie changed my life in a way that's unimaginable that you can even um, measure on a scale. It completely opened my eyes to so many different things, but it was in retrospect, the first movie that I shed a tear in, and I'm not talking about full out ugly cry, but I I remember, you know, shedding a tear when Radio Rahim was choked out by the police officer. Mm -hmm. And come now, what, 30 years later from 1990, and it's still happening. And cops are still choking the life out of out of people. And people are tired of it. But I feel like where we are is it's a little bit different to your exact point you just made um, with white America. And what I mean is I know there's a lot of, not a lot, there's a handful of uh, right-wing Trump-supporting people I know who on every subject of every police interaction out of their mouth is always comply this, comply that, if they would have done this or if they would have that, done that. But this is a moment where these people these mm-hmm. right-wingers are also in agreement. Like I remember yes. having a conversation with one person and, and I was honestly waiting for them to antagonize me with some provocative bullshit about um, if he would have just something. Right. And I, I wasn't met with that. I was met with, it was disgusting. I can't believe what I watched. This officer deliberately killed this person on camera and three other officers stood there by and just let it happen. And mm-hmm. the same person then went on and brought up what you just said, brought up the Cooper incident, brought right. up the, you know, the fact that she knew exactly what she was doing. She knew mm-hmm. exactly what she was perpetrating this person to be so that harm could come to him. Exactly. So- and I think too, to that point and what a lot of people, and I, I, again, I have to commend like my white friends or colleagues that have come to me and just and just I wanted to have the dialogue because for them it's like the dialogue is uncomfortable to have because they number one don't want to be offensive right because they don't know any better right they don't they don't know but at the same time too you see the Amy Coopers and you know hashtag Karens of the world exercise their privilege right? To the point where they think the rules don't apply to them. And what we always tend to see when we think about racism, we think about the most blatant racism, right? Someone using a racial slur, someone using police brutality, racial profiling, 
those are like the blatant in your face racisms. What we really don't see is things that fall below the line. And I've seen this going on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, where they have a basic pyramid um, structure where everything above the line is like blatant racism, but everything below the line is like this like cohort racism where it's like, you know, you say to a person of color, I didn't know you were so articulate to it being like, oh, um, you know, equal pay, not so much for a person of color, you know, so on and so forth. Like these little subtle things, people don't identify as being racist. And I find now that these moments that have happened this week has definitely woken people up, the right people up to want to try to Think about how do you correct that? And especially for the listeners out there too. And again, I, I come from a place of honesty. Um, and I have to say, like, I even have to do a better job of educating myself on the history of my Black culture, right? Not just thinking about um, the 60s, even going further back than there. And I wanted to give people just some resources, white, Black, Spanish, if you want to know about culturally what has happened to African-Americans, if you're interested, there's a couple different books I know that you're reading one called The New Jim Crow. Excellent book, right? Another book is called The Hate You Give. Um, you also have Americana. You also have The Fire Next Time by James Baldwin. You have Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. You have the Between the World and Me. If you're not a foot fan of books, you can read, you can watch documentaries called When They See Us by Ava DuVernay, who also directed um, another documentary called The 13th, right? There's also Slavery by Another Name. There's also another documentary called True Justice by Brian Stevenson, who's fighting for equality. There's so many different resources. And even I love what's happening right now with um, Rachel Cargile. Like she is this activist that's out there and she actually has many different webinars and trainings. Like one of them that um, I think everyone should look into is anti-racism intensive workshops. Um, she actually gave like this point of view yesterday. It was like 15 minute, you know, um, chat about this and she's very knowledgeable. So just looking at those resources to help you deepen your understanding of it is step one, right? Because I think now, you know, this all, I don't see color thing. That's not the way that the world is working. And I think the fact that people are opening up their eyes to seeing the disproportionate uh, treatment of people of color, especially black Americans is step one is the awareness. Now, what are you going to do now that you're aware, right? What are the tools that you're going to use to educate yourself so that you don't become the Amy Coopers of the world? I mean, I couldn't even begin to uh, subscribe any more than hit the like button 53 billion <laughs> times into everything you just said. Um, yeah, I mean, <sighs> If you, you know, everybody loves to throw terms around like woke and this and ally. And if you're not educating yourself on the conversations that are happening within the black community, whether that's through friends or whether that's through movies or books or understanding truly the struggles that have happened before you even came into existence. Like for me, like you mentioned, I'm reading the, the new Jim Crow. And as much as I thought I knew, as much as I've made this a, you know, a lifelong ambition to be as ear to the ground, tuned in to the struggles, I am learning so much about the institutional racism that has continued way beyond mm. slavery, way beyond civil rights, way beyond Jim Crow, 
like to the point where the prison system and the drug war on drugs and everything, how it was, it was basically built to formulate a system that is oppression without the bondage of slavery. And it's, I think it should be required reading to everybody who yeah. is in a position of power, not just police officers, but if you're a politician, um, because outside of people like Bernie Sanders or these, these extreme, what's called quote unquote, lefty leftists who, you know, are there to make this massive change and change the institutional racism or change the bail system or change the uh, prison system and have prison reform and closed on Rikers Island, besides this small little capsule group of people, other people are blind. So when something like this happens to George Floyd, they don't understand how, why it happens. They think it's a rogue cop. Mm -hmm. They think it's one bad apple. And I'm sorry, I think there are good cops, but overall, the institution of the police department in the United States of America is putting almost like a, a free pass on this behavior. Right. And I think, you know, again, uh, to your point, you, I've seen the bad cops, right? Like Derek Chauvin, bad cop. The four other officers with him, bad cops, right? I do want to highlight that, that there are good cops. I've seen cops come to the rescues of my friends when they were about to make bad decisions um, and in turn probably save their lives. Um, and just in addition to that, you touched upon a good point about, you know, you're reading Jim Crow and you understand the systemic institutionalized racism, especially when it comes to the prison system and prison reform. There are many, many, many nonprofits out there that people should look to, to donate to for sure. And especially in the light of um, what happened to George Floyd, people are asking not just white people, but just everyone, like, how can I give? How can I donate? And there's the Black Visions Collective. There's the Reclaim the Block. There's Campaign Zero. There's the Unicorn Riot. Um, there's George Floyd's Memorial Fund. There's other memorial funds. Like, it's all out there if you want to donate. If you don't want to protest, but you want to do something, use your platform for good or use use your voice for good. Have the conversation, especially white America, have the conversation with your white friends. Like when you're having your cocktails on in front of your lawn because we're quarantined, bring up the struggles of black America, right? It's okay. It's maybe uncomfortable at first, but that's how we should be able to have this discussion because the more we bring this to light and we, the more that we make awareness of it, that's, that's going to be the key, right? It's the awareness. Now, what are you going to do? I'm aware that there's a problem. Now, what am I going to do about it? That's like step number two, right? And, you know, as, as a special episode for our listeners, I think it was super, super great to have an NYPD person come on the show and serve as a guest. Um, he's been on the force for now 15 years. Uh, he is African-American. So his perspective on being a black cop on the job, who's a good cop, right, that also, you know, supports blue, bleeds blue, but also is African-American once he takes off the clothes and when he's walking around in his uniform. Uh, I'm happy that we have him on the show to offer his perspective on A, what's happening his perspective on what happens with George Floyd and Derek, his perspective on the protests that are currently happening all over the world, which I've never seen in my 34 years that 
And I'm actually happy to see that. But, you know, it took one person's senseless death, one African-American senseless death to galvanize an entire world behind something. These people were like, F it, I'm going to go and protest in the wake of coronavirus, right? We're not going to abide by social distancing. We're saying F social distancing because we believe so firmly in the cause. And I've seen all walks of color doing that. And I have to say, I applaud that shit. I really do. And as much as I'm angry, as much as I'm pissed, as much as I'm partially numb because I'm like, oh, here goes another one. I'm also happy to see that I see many people of color, black, white, Spanish, walking and protesting because they are saying this has to stop. So I'm happy to have one of the NYPD forces on the phone with us to give us some insight on what he's seeing through his eyes. And, and you, you, you actually use this phrase, Jen, and I'm super excited too. I think it's going to be interesting for lack of a better word to hear uh, during a moment of turmoil, during a moment where riots are still going on and protests are still going on um, to have somebody from the NYPD on who's been on the job for 15 plus years uh, to discuss their experience as a black cop. I think that's amazing. And however, I, I'm not as nice as you. I don't, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> we, I feel like all the listeners are like, Danny's the bad cop, Jed's the good cop. A hundred percent. Or like, I'm the Paula and you're the Simon, right? You'll be like, your saying was terrible. And I'm yes. like, you had a nice outfit on. Yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, but I don't, I don't subscribe to the good cop, quote unquote, air quotes, philosophy. Uh, only because I think that conversely, the yin to that yang of the good cop is not the bad cop for me. The yin mm. to the yang of the good cop, meaning the conversation of quote unquote classifying somebody as a good cop, is the conversation that classifying a black man as a thug versus a good citizen. Um, and I think that that's my challenge is I don't really care if there are good cops. Mm. I think the institution is the problem. I think the institution of the police department in the United States of America is overall bad and systemic racism exists within it. And that's the problem. It's the behaviors of the overall police department, because if they were truly to your point, good cops, because there are individual good people who are police officers. Absolutely. But if they were good cops, meaning that their job as a police officer is to uphold and protect and serve the citizens of this country, or in New York City specifically, the slogan is courtesy, professionalism, and respect, those good cops ain't doing their fucking job. Because at the end of the day, if you were a good cop, you would be stopping the assaults in its place. You would be tackling Officer Chauvin off of George Floyd immediately and not even waiting nine, 10 minutes. What blows my fucking mind with George Floyd is it's it's 10 minutes. Right. That's literally almost a quarter in basketball. Do you understand how long 10 minutes is to have your knee on somebody's fucking neck? I'm sorry. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. And that's and that's why I said, like, as many and that's why I think, like, as as those officers like Derek must Derek did the crime. But the people, the other officers that were there just as guilty because you let it happen on your watch. You know, I think that's why I wanted to bring this cop on to maybe just shed some light on just their day-to-day things that they have to deal with, especially a cop that's actually has the intention and carrying out that intention to protect and serve. And 
please note that we are using a name that's a pseudonym, and we will refer to him throughout the episode as James Gordon. So without further ado, James Gordon. Hello, everyone. Um, happy to be on the show. Happy to share some light or insight into the police department. And um, happy, to under, ha- happy to let people know what's going on in the police department and how they are interacting with the community and everything during this great tragedy that happened to um, the family of Mr. Floyd. Yeah. And, and I want to say that um, I thank you for taking time out of your Sunday to uh, chat with us, as Jen mentioned. We're in a interesting time in the country, as well as especially in New York City, being one of the largest cities in the, in the country, if not in the world, the largest police department. We're often seeing things at such a larger, bigger scale than most people do throughout the rest of the country. And even though George Floyd and his unfortunate uh, murder by Minneapolis Police Department did not happen in New York City, as we have seen with many protests and issues in the past, it becomes the epicenter for this type of conversation. And I'm so glad that you took the time to jump on this call with us because we've seen, especially in the neighborhood, I live in Brooklyn, especially in Flatbush where I live is where a lot of the incidents last night happening and clashes between um, protesters and NYPD officers. So it's really exciting to have you on to be able to just talk it through give our listeners a different perspective of what it's like to be on the job in a situation and a circumstance as we find ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I want to tell you, like, you know, being a police officer is a difficult job as enough. And being a black police officer, um, it's even harder. Um, you walk a fine line between the public and yourself and your, you know, and having such a check on your family as well. You know, you, let, you try to be the best you can on both both scales or, or you know, representing the best that you, you can be as a police officer, um, especially a black one. Um, so, you know, I understand the clashes that's happening in Brooklyn and, you know, the outrage that people feel and the hurt that people feel and, you know, and um, what's happening in the city. And obviously because we are New York City, Anything that happens in the world and in, and in America, especially in America, we, it always comes back here to, to New York because we are the biggest city in the world. Um, having, and, you know, we are considered the capital of the world, and everything will be come here and magnified even more. You know, especially happen, especially what happened in Brooklyn. So mm-hmm. I think I, I thank you for that news for me so I can speak on it. Great. And so let's just take this back a little bit, um, kicking back to a couple of days ago when you saw the 10 minute video of the murder of George Floyd by former police officer Derek Chavin. What was your first reaction to this when you saw this? Well, my first reaction is like anybody else's first reaction. You're, you're watching someone slowly be murdered, slowly have the life sucked out of them for 10 minutes on camera. And you're watching the public basically screaming and telling police, yo, render aid, render aid. And you have four other police officers there who are just basically complicit with it. You know, um, as a police officer myself, I was completely disgusted with what happened. I, was, it, it, I don't think there's enough words in the English language for me to explain how disgusted I am of what happened. And I know for a fact 
many police officers feel the same way. It's only a very small portion of police officers who probably don't, and you know, who have the same like-minded of that former officer and those right. other uh, other three um, officers as well. But it, it was appalling to watch a man scream and struggle for his mother as, as the air is being restricted coming out of his lungs and, and, and you know, and the, 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 the pure look of, I don't care, coming off of that officer kneeling on his neck. I'm going to do this. I don't care. Who cares? I'm not, I'm not going to stop. You know, where you have people in the street, you know, so he's not responsive. He's not responsive. Help him. Help him. You know, I think this is completely disgusting. And those officers who are with them are completely complicit in that nature. You know, um, what's interesting and why I'm glad to have you on this call, James, is because oftentimes, and we've seen this countless times, this countless hashtags and countless times we've seen instances of police brutality or instances where black lives have been lost to um, officers. However, oftentimes the conversation is, you know, misdirected to stuff like if they only complied or you know, I need to hear all the facts before I pass judgment. In the situation that we're dealing with right now with George Floyd, all of those things, all of those conversations are right out the window. It's black and white. We can see what happened. There's nothing further to figure out. And there was nothing about him complying. He was handcuffed on the ground with, with four officers kneeling on top of him. So being somebody who's on the force for 15 years, how would you have handled this differently if you were one of those four officers on scene? And how do you think it should have been handled? Well, if I was on scene, you know, it would have been handled completely differently. When you see the, pre- the, the beginning of the video, even from the store, um, that he was completely compliant. He was already cuffed. And our number one rule is basically, if you're cuffed, the fight's over, you know. There's nothing else that you need to do. The person's already been restrained. They've already they're, they're, they're been placed under arrest. Um, we would never have gotten to the, it would never have gotten to the point where we would have to put him on the floor. And it would never have gotten to the, at all that we would like put our, put our knees on top of him. And, you know, it, that's not how far, you know, we would need to go. You know, if you, you speak to the guy, you can, you can agree with them because he was compliant. Right. He was cuffed. And we could have put him back in the back car. We could have put him in the back of the car and put him in the precinct. And that would have been the end of the story. Now, right. talking about the situation that happened, um, you know, if I was officer coming to the scene, I'm the fifth officer coming to the scene, I would have ripped that guy completely off of him and mm-hmm. screamed on the other two and screamed on the rest of the, the other cops. How are you going to let this happen? You're going to let, you let a guy scream for help right here and you're not even going to render aid? You know, that's part of your job. You're supposed to render aid. You're supposed to help. You know, you're not supposed to be over here torturing a man to his death. You know, you know, and I believe that many officers would have done the same exact thing. You know, that's why I feel that actually, I wouldn't think feel, we see it that this was intentional. This is intentional. This person wanted to do that. This is what he wanted to do. And then when a crowd came around, it was like, listen, Stop what you're doing. He had to look in his eyes like, I don't care what you say. I'm going to keep on kneeling on his neck. It does not even bother me. And I'm going to take my hand in my pocket, which is adding more body weight to his neck. 
Yeah, he knew what he was doing with his hand in his pocket. It was deliberate. It was to force his leg down even harder. We already we know it's it's definitely a move that that it was deliberate. You mentioned something earlier that I, I want to just quickly jump back to, and it's it's this trivial point that people don't realize is that that George was calling out to his mother, and you mentioned that James. Mm-hmm. And what a lot of people don't realize is his mother passed away already. And when you're a person who your mother has passed away, and you're calling out to somebody who's gone. It's because you know you're about to go. It's such a tragic moment mm-hmm. that he was calling out to his past, his dead mother, because he knows he, his life was draining from him. Another point you just made just a second, um, James, and it's interesting, is you mentioned the word torture and torturing. And I find it ironic that the police departments within the United States are not held to the same global standards of soldiers when it comes to torturing um, prisoners, as well as uh, enemy combatants. How can you respond to that and, and help us understand as private citizens how police officers can constantly get away with torturing, assaulting, or beating people when they're handcuffed without repercussion? Well, if you think about it, you have to think about where the origin of the police department started, or the origin of the sheriff's department, which was before the police department. You know, sheriffs were basically... Um, Supports are slave catchers. That's what their organization started out. Until it grew and grew and changed over time, become the police department of this today. So catching slaves and punishing those slaves when you caught them back then and doing all types of um, harm to them was acceptable. You have to think about it like that. Because if you think about where origin, where the origin came from. So because it was acceptable to do that, to discourage other slaves from running away, you know, that culture has seeped through the police department for years or generations, you know, and that's the stigma that um, people of color or any, you know, or any group of people feel sometimes when they deal with the police department, that they're allowed to do this, they're allowed to do this, these certain things. But I would like to also mention that, you know, that police department has already publicly stated that, you know, chokeholds or those kind of restraints is not part of their training, you know. So this is a person who's basically doing this on his own accord. And um, to answer the question, like, you know, how do they keep on getting away with it, is that, you know, a lot of them use that, I hate to say this, but, um, you know, that their lives were in danger, um, Right. And, you know, they fear for their life kind of um, dynamic, you know, and this is why they did what they did. But mm-hmm. we can clearly see a man handcuffed being restrained by three officers. You know, there's no way. It's inexcusable. It's completely inexcusable. This is why that um, they were able to fire this person right away that same day. But the slow response to arrest those officers has grown to the situation that is, that is happening right now. Yeah. And just like reflecting on this, and I think that's why there's such an uproar, right? I think like you blatantly see this police officer use excessive force to murder someone and compound that with the fact that there wasn't immediate retribution, right? There wasn't the immediate arrest. It wasn't the, it wasn't that. Like, that's what I think is causing this outcry for people because it is blatant to Danny's point in this video that this man is being murdered and he is unarmed and he's also abiding by the rules of of not fighting back. And, you know, I think over the last couple of days, 
a lot of people, unfortunately, have this sort of mistrust in the police force, right? And, and rightly so, because you know what we've seen time and time again, that police officers who use abuse of power, who, you know, because of the old culture they had, um, completely and utterly get away with it. Mm-hmm. And not held to the higher standards that they swore that they're supposed to be held to. And just thinking about, like, the public views of just the police as a whole on a national level, even with NYPD, with the protests that are taking place in Nashville, New York City, Brooklyn, California, um, we've seen we've seen them exercise force that by many standards were unnecessary, right? We've seen people fire off rubber bullets. We've seen people use tear gas, so on and so forth. So what are your thoughts on how the public views the NYPD specifically? I, I, I feel that um, for some situations, you need to use force. That's absolutely, absolutely. You know, as police officers, sometimes we need to use force to, be, um, to help de-escalate the situation. But um, the thing is that um, we've seen that not be used. The, the ability to de-escalate. And we have seen with certain police departments that ability has been used. We've seen certain police chiefs come out and listen, we're here for you. We understand what's going on. We want you guys to be able to protest peacefully, but you please don't use any force or any or, or anything like that. So you know, so you can get your viewpoint across. And we see that happening across this country, and we see that the protesters are not violent, and you know, and people are able to express how they feel or their uh, or or their disgust with that the police department and those four former officers. Um, we see that happening, you know. But there is there is absolutely some time where you need to use force to um, basically stop or de-escalate a situation. You know, that's something that comes with the, the job. But the thing is that you want to use the minimum or the necessary force that you need to de-escalate a situation. You're not out there to harm people. No one puts on this uniform and goes, I'm going out there to purposely harm somebody. The people, the ones who do are the ones that are rotten apples and there are very few of in the police department. And you know, these four officers right there are are a perfect example of that. They you are. know, I, I, you bring up a, a lot of interesting points and, and one specifically about intent. So, and, mm-hmm. and again, I wanna go to a quick point that the job isn't easy, we know this. I mean, you never know what you're gonna get when you walk out of your house and put on that uniform and what your day's gonna look like. Absolutely, because you know, because the viewpoint is, you're putting this uniform on and you're showing up to a person's call or job, whatever you call it, and it's not that person's best day. It's obviously not that person's best day. That's why they call the police. Right. So, you know, you have to come with certain types of professionalism and willing to help or render aid, you know. Right. Absolutely. But but the question about intent is is interesting one because we know the NYPD is one of the largest police forces in the in the world forty thousand cops right when anybody you have forty thousand people I mean my high school was six thousand people you know and you had all types of people in my high school you have people who were racist you had people who were nice people across the board so when you have forty thousand cops even if ten percent or even five percent of that number. You're talking about 2,000 cops who could be dangerous or could yeah. be out there with bad intent. So, for example, just before we got on this call, there was a videotape that surfaced of 
somebody at a protest where an NYPD officer threw up the white power symbol. Now, these are circumstances where there was a discussion many years ago that if somebody is a known racist, a known member of an organization, whether it's neo-Nazi or KKK, should they be allowed to be part of the police force, the fire department, EMS, first responders, blah, blah, blah. And there's a big argument on that because the conversation is, will they act with integrity for every mm -hmm. case that they're called upon in the same manner? What are your thoughts on that, James? Very simply, if you're part of a hate group, you have hate. You want to exercise your hate. Your primary goal to be part of that hate group is to hate. So, you know, I feel that personally that no, this should definitely not be part of any organization that is in law enforcement or, 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 any, or rendering any type of aid whatsoever. Because the thing is, what happens yeah. because of their beliefs of hate when they come across a person that you're supposed to render aid to, but they hate that person? Are they going to render aid? Now you, you throw up, you throw, you throw that um, maybe they will and maybe they won't kind of situation going on. But if they, have, if they, if they exercise their hate and they believe in that hate, who right. that they are, you know for a fact they're not going to help that person. So mm -hmm. what, if a person, what if the person is an EMS worker and they hate this Spanish person or, and then they're like, you know what, I'm not going to help him get his best help um, advice I can give and just let this person suffer. They might not let the person die, but they might yeah. let the person suffer a little longer. Or you might have an extreme and let the person die. You know, if you're part of a hate group, you shouldn't be serving as a police officer, firefighter, or EMS, a nurse, or doctor, whatever it may be. You shouldn't be part of that. You know, and you know, you have officer throwing up the white power sign in NYPD, you know, come on. In, in, in a situation where all of this is stemming from because of the hate of white, of, of white power, of, of what was in the main group, that officer should not, he shouldn't be a police officer. If right. you have that much hate, you know, this is not the job for you. This is the job where you're supposed to give and help you're supposed to be, you know, and you're supposed to render aid. This is a job where you become heroes to help people, and heroes help everyone. James, uh, I love the fact that you brought up the term hero. Um, mm -hmm. It's a really important word to use because mm -hmm. it, it has so many um, layers to that, con that word. Oftentimes when the conversation about officers and supporting the boys in blue and girls in blue, it's about their heroes, they put their lives in the line. That's the typical rhetoric when people came out with the anti-Black Lives Matter movement when they, the whole Blue Lives Matter uh, movement started. I think that it's interesting. I remember as a child, I'm talking really young, seven, eight years old, I'm listening, I used to listen to these Disney albums and there was a song on there that was like, I'm a police officer dressed in blue. Here are the things I like to do. And it was like, direct the traffic, blah, blah, blah. And I remember growing up with this fascination that cops were heroes, they wore capes. And then as you get older and you interact more or you see more or you learn more, you realize that that hero aspect starts disappearing when the interactions that you've seen or grew up looking at on TV isn't a reality in the streets. And when you realize that you're walking through the streets and you're treated differently as a man who's a white man with my friends in neighborhoods when I'm allowed to stand there while my friends get thrown up against cars um, because of the way they look or the color of their skin. I think it's interesting 
that hero element and how quickly it has disappeared and how but how easy it would be to get back and i think it's really a simple thing that we can discuss later on on what we can do to make sure that cops are once again looked at like heroes and and to add to that, James, too, like, and, and we talk about a lot about like what cops are not doing well. And I don't want us to also like overshadow the good cops that are out there. I remember now there was this great viral video from uh, Sherrick Cripps Swanson, and he's in Flint, right? And he is literally out there saying, guys, I'm here to make sure that you guys are not hurt. Uh, I want to make this, in his words, I want to make this a parade not a protest. And he literally walked with the people that were protesting. And, uh, and I've even seen images of cops taking knees with the protesters. So I, I've definitely seen the dichotomy of people using this protest as cops where they've said, okay, let me exercise my force or let me stand with the people because I feel the same way as well. So how, as a, as a, as a person on the, on the force, would you help us get back to a moment where we can look at these hero cops, we can watch movies with hero cops, we can see them on the street and say, it's the same way we would tell a soldier, thank you for your service. I would love to be able to go up to an officer at, of the NYPD and say the same exact thing. So James, tell us how do we get there? Well, the best way to get there is by the officer's actions. That's the best way I can say it. The ones who go out there who actually do that, who, who, who who tell the crooked cops, the horrible cops, to get the hell out of it, to get off the job, who, who actually go out there and render aid, who actually are, who want to help the people, those cops are doing it by their own examples. And that's how they become heroes in their communities and people how they see them. You know, the ones who are, who are basically racist and doing all this crazy bad stuff, they are actually getting the good cops hurt. They really are. Because, you know what, it's, what's going to happen is someone's going to be angry and they're going to want to attack cops. And let's be honest, what's, what's really going to happen is the ones who are doing their job, who have done nothing wrong, who basically are the good cops, are the ones who are going to be hurt. And it always happens like that. The good ones get hurt because, you know, someone is so angry and, and, so, and so full of rage and they want to express that on those cops, you know. So those, they hurt those. They never, they never seem to get the ones that are crooked and bad. You know, those, those ones only get exposed by, on videotape. And then eventually they're like, oh, my God, they, they say their lives are ruined. But that's how they've always been. You know, they've always been like that. And the thing is, we need to expose them more. The more of them are being exposed, the, less, the, way, we, that's the way we get rid of more of them. And when we get rid of the most, get rid of all of those off the police force, then, you know, the, the, the people can look at us different again. But I don't want you to not look at the cops out there who are already doing the right thing, who are helping people, who are, who are, who are putting their lives on the line to help people, who are, who are not trying to hurt people, who are speaking to people, who are de-escalating the situations, mm -hmm. you know, for situations like this not to happen. And it's unfortunate that you have the people on the sidewalk screaming at four, four cops on Floyd's head to de-escalate de the situation. Cops, the, the, the 
public is trying to de-escalate. The public, and they're supposed to be professional police officers. Maybe I'm using those words too loosely, you know, and that's why they're not police officers anymore. But, you know, when the public is, is screaming at you from three different camera angles as you basically suck the life out of, out of the human being, you know, how else can you, how else can you say but to get these cops off of the police department? Because they need to go. They absolutely need to go because they're putting everyone else's lives in danger who are actually trying to help. And James, we, we talked earlier a little bit about intent and I don't want to, I want to also talk about something that happened in the same week, right? I think the, the nation was taken aback when they saw the video of a white woman walking her dog without a leash in Central Park by the name of Amy Cooper. Um, and for those listeners that don't know what happened, which if you don't, I'm surprised, but we're doing our jobs here. So Amy Cooper was a white woman who was walking her dog in Central Park. And Chris Cooper, who was an African-American man, um, who is also part of the National Audubon Society for Birdwatching, Harvard graduate, literally comes up to Amy, non-threatening, and says, hey, ma'am, see the signs. You have to have your dog on a leash. Very calmly, just, as, just communicating what was a law that was put in this park. Amy Cooper perceived that as a threat and proceeded to make a falsified call to the police department saying that her life is being threatened by an African-American man and then proceeds to go into an improv of hysterics, high, using her voice, almost, almost acting as if she is being attacked at that moment. And a lot of people that shed a light for a lot of people that this does take place. And from my opinion, that call that Amy Cooper made, that could have resulted in Chris Cooper becoming another George Floyd. If the situation was where a cop arrives at the scene, they are looking for an African-American and say, for instance, that cop is a crooked cop, right? And then they exercise force and then unfortunately leads to the harm or death of another black person. So from your perspective, James, and again, this, this is very much your thoughts on this. I know that your thoughts don't represent completely the NYPD, but these are your thoughts. Do you think white people exercise their privilege? Do you think that they do that purposely or are they ignorant? And what should have been the consequences for a falsified call like that? Let's put it bluntly as it. The best way I should possibly put it, Amy decided to use 911 as a weapon against another black man. She tried to weaponize the police by faking distress that was not happening at all to her. So she can do some type of harm to a black man who was just basically stating what the rules of the park was. It's point blank. She knew exactly what she was doing, and she knew the privilege that she had so she can do it. So we know for a fact, let's be honest, for ourselves, we know for a fact when people call the police, especially on a black person, whatever it may be, you're going to get a certain type of response. And then she goes on to fake her hysteria that she's being attacked by that person. 
Now, if he was not videotaping that situation, it could have gone so much worse. Mm-hmm. If the police responded and attacked, you, know, you just attacked this woman. It could have, it could have been a mother Floyd situation. And I think it's to your point too, like, um, and we've seen this kind of pick up traction where Will Smith said like, there was always racism is just now being filmed, right? And, and it, that's the thing that sucks. And, you know, speaking from experience, having many white friends and knowing many white colleagues who don't think that way, and they saw that video, their reactions were, they were appalled by the Amy Coopers and the Karens of the world. And they're like, whoa, we didn't even know that this was happening. Because I think when people think about racism, they think about the blatant racism. They don't think about this underlying subtle racism or they may, they may not be um, known to it. You know, it's called like, for instance, like white fragility, right? Um, where they don't really understand it. But sometimes it's like, it's woven in to, to the narrative so much that even another white person is like, I didn't even know what I was thinking or saying. And you know, I know that some white people feel that, oh, the only people who are doing that are bad, are bad black people, not the good black people. It doesn't happen to good black people, but it happens to all people of color. It, it does. On some form of fashion, you are going to encounter some type of racism. It is, you know, and then we need to have a discussion of how, how we can recognize it and how we can stop it from happening. You know, because that becomes a big factor when we're dealing with communities and even policing, you know, and the thing is here, we're not here to take people's lives. We're here to try to protect people's lives. I think the biggest way or the simplest way is education. And the thing is, some people are educated, but they're not exposed. That's another problem. You need to be more exposed to what's happening in the world. You know, me as a police officer, I had a certain viewpoint before I was a police officer. And um, I thought certain ways you know, were probably negative or whatever it may be until I became a police officer and I see the way, oh, this is how things really are because I had exposure to it. Now that I had exposure to it, I have an understanding of it. And, and James, you talked about earlier too, um, you talked about earlier how this creates like this ripple effect, right? Where we've seen the video of the death of George Floyd and we've seen many other videos, many other videos. And someone made a point that they have been recording videos of police brutality against people of color for now close to 10 years, right? And there now there is this public outcry. And I think from my perspective, I've never seen, even on a global level, because they were even doing protests in Berlin yesterday, on a global level, I've never seen the amount of protests that have happened in the last 48, 72 hours. Let's think about the Rodney King and 30 years ago, when we watched one police officer repeatedly beat a man to death. Mm-hmm. That was 30 years ago. Right. You know, and- that, that, made, that made national news and that made world news and everything. But, you know, and but then just- to, you know, and then to see what happens after that when, when, when the trial happens. Yeah, the the scale the scale of the Rodney King though um, is to to Jen's point. This is I feel like much different in a sense where I remember watching the the riots after the Rodney King and the Rodney King verdict. Like there was there was there was no riots from the beating itself right away, 
It was from the yeah, verdict. Um, and that mm -hmm. goes to, to the point of accountability, right? But to Jen's yeah. point, those riots were in LA. What we're seeing now, because of social media, is that mm -hmm. the George Floyd killing, we're seeing riots mm -hmm. and protests across the globe, in the United Kingdom, in, in, in Brooklyn, in, in every major city. The map went up yesterday of all the places where, the, where these protests were. So it's, it's a different animal nowadays. It's different. It, it's, it's larger. It's different because it's from the viewpoint of the people. That's why it's different. The Rodney King beating was told by the narrative of the media. You know, that's the difference. Now you have, everybody has cameras, everybody can record. And you can see the person behind the camera screaming for help. So it, that has a more impactful uh, emotional feel on the people. And that's why it has spread so much to, across the world. You know, you literally watch this person, you know, the Rodney King meetings when it when happened, you know, um, those officers were trying to say they were trying to stop him from doing whatever he was doing. You know, and um, so they can stop resisting. That was their excuse because the guy was in cuffs. But you watch a person who's cuffed with three human beings on top of him and one on his neck, mm -hmm. literally suffocating the life out of him as he screamed for his mother who passed away. And that, and that to me is just, it, that's when you, like, where is your humanity at this point? And just talking about the protests that are happening, right? We've seen it all over the country, all over the world. What are your thoughts when you see these national protests and, and just going a little bit deeper, when, what are your thoughts on when you see cops protesting and exercising their, their rights in a good way to help sort of de-escalate or even protect the protesters? And then what are your thoughts on folks that maybe use a little bit excessive force when, um, you know, they see a massive amount of protesters. So what are your thoughts on that? You know, there's no real right way to protest. You're protesting against something. You are um, displeased with the, whatever the status quo is, and you are expressing the way that you are protesting how you're protesting against that status quo. Um, I commend the police officers who who basically, who said, we understand where you're coming from, we want you to peacefully protest. You know, we want, we want peace, we understand, you know, we, we, we're with you, we, we get you. I commend all those police officers, and I think we all should commend the police officers. Now, as it comes far, the police officers are using excessive force, I think those need to be looked at. I think those need to be investigated. If you're using excessive force, there's something going on, there's something wrong. You know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't need to do that. You know, unless you feel your life is in danger, someone else's life is in danger, then, you know, that dictates the force that you use as, a, as an officer. You know, you have to use certain type of force when it's required of you to use that force. But the thing is, you always want to de-escalate. And I have found that a lot of police officers out there are doing the best they can to de-escalate the situation. And that's what needs to be done, period. You know, like for instance, you know, the, the, um, the um, police cars that like in New York that basically uh, drove into the crowd. You know, at the time, like they said that the officers were, they felt danger, they felt in danger, that's why they did what they did. But, you know, you, you, sometimes you don't have to go through them. It's only, you could probably withdraw, you know. You want to be able to try to keep your safety and their safety at the same time. 
I think that's the best way, the best course of action that you have to take. You know, you probably have to just sit there, assess the situation, and make, try to make the best decision that you can. I know sometimes you can't, because you have to do decisions on the fly, right away, understand that, you know, but you want to do the best situation that you're going to do for your, for your safety, as well as the public safety. You know, that's the best course of action I suggest that officers should take. Um, if I may, James, for a moment, just play devil's advocate only because there, there's definitely a feeling. I, I agree with what you're saying that with the de-escalation that officers on, on scenes for protests should be there for de-escalation. And, but I often think we use that term too loosely. I think that the term de-escalation is really crippling when the protagonists in the protests are the police officers. So, and mm-hmm. this isn't, you, you can't like, I can't punch somebody in the face and when they hit me back, then be upset and want to want to deescalate the situation. What I mean is we have to be blunt, right? We have to really talk about certain things that we can see that are what everybody can see now. For example, right? We see a protest of, of these armed white men who want just the country to be opened again for quarantine. They're screaming in officers' faces from two inches away pointing in their faces, aggressive. They have semi-automatic weapons on them. They're in mob mentality. And there is not even one tear gas shot, not one rubber bullet, not one battle, not one pushing of the person, period. However, historically in this country, for the past 60 years now, since Martin Luther King days, anytime somebody decided to march for black rights, they were met with cops on horseback, German shepherds, batons, tear gas, bullets back then, rubber bullets now. Why would you send, as not you, James, but why would the NYPD powers that be send people to a protest that is supposed to be peaceful to antagonize and to push these protesters with their backs against the wall and force them to fight back? You know, I don't want to say the NYPD is doing that. I want to say it's the individuals who are choosing to do that. Those individual police officers who are choosing to do that. Because there is no way that I can see the police department saying that we're going to send these people out here to beat and crack everybody's skull. You know, NYPD is not, they don't, they, they're not, they, they don't want to do something like that. It's too, it, it looks too ugly and that's not really their goal. You know, um, I think if individuals go feel a certain way and they're like, you know, and we're gonna, we're gonna, and we're gonna do it this way. You know, back in the past, it, it was back in the past when you know Martin Luther King and everything. It was that was purely racist. You could tell that was 100 percent purely racism. Well, Martin Luther King, they tried to tell Martin Luther King the way to protest when he was protesting and he had children with them. They told him he couldn't do that. They shouldn't do that. He shouldn't protest with children and everything like that. They didn't want him to do that. You know, and then he actually listened to the power of the be and removed the children. The moment he did, they were met with dogs, horses, and fire hoses. So, you know, you can't tell people the proper way to protest. You know, and you know, and you can't you can't do those things, you know. Um and I, I don't believe that NYPD is out there um sent out there specifically to to beat up um civilians. So, so let me let me clarify. I'm not saying that the NYPD gave a directive to send people out to beat people. But if you tell people 
or you know there's going to be a protest, obviously, right? And mm -hmm. as, as the powers that be, this individual precincts or whatever, send people out to have a police presence there. And mm -hmm. Barclays Center was a big example of that, where they were there peacefully protesting, screaming, signs, picketing. But then there was a moment where the officers felt they didn't want that no longer on the sidewalk by the Barclays Center anymore. They wanted to push them across the street to a different area. That's what sparked the scenario. And that's what causes these, these moments where these unexplainable actions by not just individual police officers, but the institution of the police department, where they want to force the hand of the protesters to get violent, to, to have points where they're launching tear gas into crowds who are just marching. What's the point of that? These people are there to voice their concern. They're not doing anything violent, but when you launch tear gas, we've seen it across the globe. I mean, we've seen it in Tiananmen Square. We've seen it everywhere. When you do that, if somebody has a reaction to it, they're going to react to it. But I think to James point too, is like you have the good cops and you have the bad cops, right? And you have like in a scenario that split second where the line gets blurred sometimes of when you try to stick to your morals and when you feel attacked. And I'm not saying I'm not rooting for black against cops, whatever the case may be. We happen to be talking to James, who is a very good cop. And I know that for a fact, you know, but at the same time, it's just like, is it that one slip of judgment or is it like you're sending bad cops out there that are doing the job? It's like, well, we just need numbers at this point. We really don't need to, you know, figure out like what is your stance on whatever the case may be. But James, let, let's toss it over to you because I know you have some interesting perspective on this. Well, I think that um, usually when they do tear gas you know, or anything like that, they're trying, to, they're trying to disband a large group of people who are basically being violent or disruptive of that nature. I believe that's what they're doing. Um, I believe that's the directive they're giving to disband kind of these, these groups. And I've seen that that's, the, that's what they have been done when in those kind of situations. Um, you know, but trying to stick to the issue and everything, um, what happened, what happened to Floyd and those groups that went out of their way to, to, um, destroy or do whatever they be, it's because of the response of how the police department conducted themselves. They found it, they found that they had enough fire these people, these horrible, disgusting, evil human beings. Who, who murdered the person? They found they had they had enough to get rid of them on the police department, but somehow fall short of having enough to arrest them. Mm -hmm. You know, if they would have done that, if they were able to, if you had enough to fire them, you had enough to arrest them. Let's just be honest. Right. You know, you're firing these people because they killed somebody. Yes. That's basically point blank. You're firing people because they killed someone. Which is crazy as a reaction, right? Can you imagine killing somebody and you just get fired? That's it. That's all they right. did. So, you know, I find it completely negligent on that police department for not arresting them right then and there. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Because the truth of the matter is, let's be honest, all of this that's happened is because of an outrage or an outcry because nothing was done. All they did was fire them. All they did was fire them. Yeah. I remember, I, I, remember, I remember hearing this story where a restaurant owner owned a building and they're talking about people out here looting and destroying and burning down buildings and everything. And the restaurant owner was like, you know what? I'm going to tell you something. I own this building. 
I own several apartments in the building, I own several restaurants, I own this big restaurant in this building. I'd rather let my restaurant and my building burn down, burn down, because justice has not been served. Mm. That's Amen. A, that speaks volumes. That speaks volumes. He's like, I'd rather lose my business and where people live because, because justice has not been served. Right. And all they had to do, all they had to do is arrest them immediately. Because you had enough to fire them. But for some kind of reason, you didn't have enough to arrest them. Yeah. And that's what's crazy, right? And I, I think you, to your earlier point, too, it comes down to, um, for a cop, and you mentioned this before, James, it comes down to judgment and discernment, right? And I think it's like when you arrive on the scene, you know, what are things that you can do? And maybe you can give this some tips to our listeners just so that they can get some insight, um, especially police officers that are listening to it now. Like, what are some tips when you get that call and you arrive on the scene? What should a cop do versus, you know, aggressively going in and letting the adrenaline run and all that stuff? What should a cop do in those scenarios? I have, I have, had, me, I have I've been on police department for quite a number of years. And I realized that running in and not knowing the situation, you know, is dangerous to myself, my partner, and other police officers as well as the community. You know, I think what police officers should do is take that extra minute or 30 seconds or two minutes and observe what's happening. Observe what's happening before rushing in. Because those few moments can dictate life, death, or being injured or being able to save a life. So the thing is, a lot of cops, you know, I've seen it myself, I've, I've been victim of it myself, have rushed in um, with that tunnel vision because of the call, trying to get there right away and trying to, you know, either help or render aid or whatever it may be, depending on the situation. Um, and they get that tunnel vision. And then, you know, because of that, they, they get hurt and other people get hurt and so on and so forth. Let me give you an example. Um, I remember this, but um, we get a call, you know, and it's a generic burglary call, uh, uh, a guy dressed in all black, black male, stole a TV, and he's walking down the street with it, right? Um, you see that description, you see that person, only police officers will probably rush there and they'll stop anybody who fits the description. This is, this is a fact, you know, we see this happen, you know? Person not carrying the TV at the moment, but they'll rush there and they you know, they'll stop anybody who fits that description. This is why you get the outrage of people saying, What did I do? Why are you stopping me? Why are you throwing me against the wall? Why are you throwing me on the field? Why are you doing this to me? This is why we get a lot of that outrage of people feeling that they're being profiled. This is why we get that. Now, I think that can be minimized or even stopped completely if the cops come to the situation, they come to the scene and you take that 30 seconds, observe what's going on based on your call. Maybe you take a minute or two minutes to observe what's going on in that call. Like, I'll give you a perfect example. I remember them, when we got that call, they stopped a bunch of other guys who fit the description. None of them were carrying the TV, none of them, you know, and they were all outraged. Why'd you stop me? Why'd you do this? Why'd, you know, they were, they were extremely angry. And then we took a moment and we looked at this one guy who was just, he was just standing there hanging out, 
And, you know, he's near an alley, he's watching the cops with the other bike. And when the cops drove off, he went to that alley and picked up that television and continued walking. And we were able to stop that person and arrest that person. Communion was involved with that. See, yep. that's the extra moment right there that dictates and tells you what you have. You, when you rush in and you don't look at it, you either got nothing and you have to let the people go and they're very upset, they're very angry at you, or you can sit back, watch, see what's happening, and you'll, you'll be able to get that true perpetrator who's committed a crime and, um, and prevent getting complaints that you're being you're racially profiled with the yeah. people. Yep. You know, if you want, if you know, if you want to be a professional, if you want to be professional like this. I, I love that idea, uh, James, um, because if, if not just for police officers, but for everybody, if you just took a minute or two before you jump to a decision, I'm sure a lot of us would make more sound decisions and not create a bigger problem than we, we wouldn't have had if we took a moment to think about it. I want to switch the conversation to a little bit more difficult of a question. And the question is, what should the private citizen do? Now, I ask you this because right now, there's a sentiment where people are fed up and people are at a point where the conversation on social media in groups of friends and just seeing text message chains that there's a, there's a understanding now that the people are feeling like if they were the person that were filming that, that if they were armed, that they would have done something at that exact moment. And not going to our earlier point where you said the danger is to the innocent cop who's just going to get a drink or a cup of coffee or walk into his squad car and did nothing wrong. But the actual cop who's doing something wrong at that exact moment, what do you think or recommend or maybe you don't have a recommendation? Maybe there is not a recommendation that a private citizen can do outside of taking the law into his own hands to to help deescalate a situation because I'm telling you now, from my perspective, if somebody goes and tackles this cop and jumps on him to get him off of George Floyd, that person's putting their life in danger. Or, yes, they are. Um, and, I would, and I wouldn't recommend them doing that. Um, I think what was needed to be done was done. You need to videotape, record them, you know, because you shine a light on them, they, they scurry away like roaches. To be honest, because they're horrible people. So I think that's what needed to be done. I think that you need to expose these people and show them and bring them into the light of what they really are. Yeah. You know, using force on these officers, they're gonna use they're gonna be like, Well, you know, I'm justified in killing you because you use force against me. And you don't want that. You know, that's not what we want. Agreed. We want to get rid of we want to get rid of these people on the police department. So they can't use that kind of defense. And the best way to do it is to record and Mm -hmm. expose them. Expose them. That's the best way to do it. Because they they shouldn't be, I'm going to be honest, I don't want them on my job. And I know plenty of other police officers don't want them on their job either. I don't want them. Yeah. And I agree with you. That's the the best response is to videotape. That's the best way to do it. That's the best way. I agree. I do do feel, though, that... um, even though we, we can say to record and do all this stuff, people are still dying, you know, and, yeah. and, and it's, we're, and, we're, and, it, it, and it's, you know, you know, it's, it's horrible. And, you know, you know, and the only way to stop people from dying is to get rid of these people. But basically going over there and attacking, attacking that, that officer, you're going to be like, oh, I'm just about to do what I'm doing. 
When did what when did assaulting a police officer, which is a crime, become a death sentence? You know, that's a very difficult question to answer. Let me give you that. You know, it's very difficult. Um, I I never saw it as that. I thought you know, assaulting police officer means you get arrested. Um, that's how I see it. But I can't speak for all police all police organizations and how they run their organizations. Um, I, I can't speak on behalf of that. And that's, it's just too difficult for me to answer that question. Um, you know, um, I, 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 that's the best, I think, that's the best answer I can give you at this moment um, without racking my brain. But, you know, <laughs> it, sh- it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be like that. That's Agreed. not what it should be. It's not, it shouldn't be anything like that. You know, usually if you assault police officers, you get arrested as well. You know, yeah. now, as it becoming your death sentence, that's a whole other level that it should not be taken to. And I think also, too, to that point, James, and yeah, I I agree, like record them because, again, uh, I mean, being a PR professional, I know how quickly the narrative can shift, right? I know how quickly the narrative can shift and like they take different things from different vantage points and be like, well, this person was an aggressor. And it's like, no, he was tapping me on the shoulder, you know, like the words get twisted and there's so many different ways to switch the narrative where at the end of the day, it's so far away from what originally happened. You know, just thinking about it too, um, you know, you've been a cop for 15 years. Um, you're also an African-American male, a father. Um, have you ever experienced racial profiling and prejudice by another police officer while you were off duty or in plain clothes? I, I'm going to answer this question, and I believe that all of us have or police officers or any people in minority have experienced it either before becoming a police officer, as they're a police officer, and they will experience it after leaving the police force. Um, personal story for me is that I remember one time I was parked in a Cleveland park and um, a parking lot, and um, I was watching um, something on Netflix on my phone. I was waiting for someone, they told me they're going to be a little while. And um, out of nowhere, Three police officers came knocking on my window on either side and everything. And I was like, oh, what's going on? And then they were like, yo, um, you know, what are you doing here? I was like, excuse me, I can't see what do you mean what I'm doing here? But I can be anywhere I want. Well, I'm letting you know it's a drug team location. I was like, that's great for letting you know that, I explained to them. I'm on my phone watching Netflix. So what do you want? And they were like, you know, what do you mean what I want? I want you to get out of the car, you know, and I you know, and it's going to search you and everything. I was like, why do you do that? Listen, I told him, wait, 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 hold on. Why? I'm not doing anything. What's the reason for the stop? And the thing is, they believe that I do not know my rights. Mm. Like, right? And because of that reasoning, they felt that they can abuse it. And there, there are officers who, who are like that, you know, who will abuse their authority and abuse people's rights because they don't, they, 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 think it, they think people don't know that. And I told him, listen, I'm a police officer. And my idea is, and I showed him, my idea of my shield. Like, you know, you can't do this. And then that, that's where the character of that person's intentions really shows. Where he started screaming and becoming extremely belligerent. You're a police officer, you should know better. Blah, 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 I should know better what? I said to him, what should I know better? Is there something wrong with me watching Netflix on my phone? 
in mm-hmm. my car? What's wrong? What am I doing wrong? And then a supervisor had to grab that officer literally by the neck and tell him, calm down, shut up. And he told me, I'm sorry. He was like, you know, go about your night and everything. And, um, and the supervisor was like, you know, you know, next time just let us know that your police officer blah, 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 and everything like that. And I was like, yo, but, you know, my point is this, is like, what am I doing wrong? I'm sitting in my car and I'm watching Netflix on my phone. What, what am I doing, you know? So I experienced that racism myself. And the thing is that, you know, I know other officers feel the same way, especially officers of color, you know? So, so- once you take this, once you take this uniform off, <laughs> You are just another regular civilian in their eyes, another person, another black man or another Spanish, whatever you are to them. You just are. Amen. And you can you can be a victim of it. We all are be victims of it. And you know, I mean as a father, I have to explain that to my children. You know, it's you know, even though I'm a police officer, if I don't have that uniform on, what am I doing? They don't see me as they just, they just see me as another black man. So James, to, to that point, and, and not to delve too deep into it, as a father, because I'm a father too, I have a 17-year-old son, right? Um, mm-hmm. His mother's Puerto Rican, I'm half Cuban, so he's definitely a darker complexion than me. And I'm definitely worried in a society that we live in that he will be faced with situations that are, are to your point, just because he's a person of color. How do you, as a parent, as a father, being on the job, being on the job for 15 years and seeing everything that you've seen, good, bad, and in between, prepare your child or children for a life growing up where they might have to interact with police officers? Well, you know, I, I try to tell them to always be respectful of police officers, um, follow the command of police officers, so they don't have no indications or reason to become more aggressive or aggressive at all towards you. Um, you know, don't speak to them. You know, if they ask any questions, they want to know this, whatever it may be, you have the right, you have the right to remain silent. And the thing is, I feel that some people don't understand that. They have this stigma in their mind where they believe that I need to talk to the police because I'm not doing anything wrong. Um, so me talking is not, is, you know, it's not going to hurt me. But people forget that the other part of the law is whatever you say can be used against you in court of law. You know, so I prepare my children by saying, wait, listen, that's your name, you tell them your name. After that, you don't need to tell them anything else. Or try to explain to them, if you're not doing anything wrong, don't speak. Yep. And, you know, you have to be cognizant of what, who, where you are and what you look like. Unfortunately, like we said, this lady in, the, in, in Central Park, she's using, she knows she can call the police on you and the police can come and act threatening towards you because of the color of your skin. Right. You know, and I think you should tell your son that as well. Like, you know, you have to be very careful, very, very careful. And it, as black people, we have to be more and more careful. And it's, you know, it's kind of tiring. Yes. You know. It's very, it's kind of tiring, you know, even though we're not doing anything wrong, we're perceived that we're doing something wrong because how other people perceive us. So James, um, this is the point where I like to, uh, we've, we've had an amazing episode and we've touched on so many points 
And I love one of the earlier points you made and, and where it's the individual and how they choose to approach the situation, not necessarily the commands that they get or the powers they be. And, and I, I, I do see both sides of that conversation, but it makes mm -hmm. me think like, for example, hypothetically, command gives down that where you need to crack down on jaywalking in the Flatbush neighborhood, right? The good cop will go mm -hmm. in and will start just writing people tickets for jaywalking. The bad cop will walk in and start throwing people to the ground, harassing them, beating them up, and then saying, why were you jaywalking? I get it totally. So I appreciate you being the good cop you are, being the, the uh, shining star. I want you to keep speaking up, using your voice when you can in appropriate ways that will not jeopardize you and your career because you have another, what, 10 years at least uh, on the force. Um, <laughs> so, um, you should retire early. <laughs> what, what I do want to turn this conversation to right now, though, is there, there will be listeners here who, who are officers who, who um, have a love for what they do, just like you. Can you give our listeners who maybe are not on the force or, but are considering it some of the fun? Tell, take us through some, some questions like, for example, are there radios in the squad cars that you can play music? Absolutely. Have you Absolutely. ever been in a situation in the 15 years on, on the force where somebody had played a song like fuck the police or black cop in a squad car. Yes, I have. And you know, we, we found it funny. Yeah, I found it funny. You know, let's go like this. To this job, to do this job effectively and not to go insane, you need a sense of humor. Mm. Because, you know, you absolutely need a sense of humor. If you don't have it, you know, it's gonna be very rough and very difficult to do this job. Um, so, you know, you gotta take the good, when you have it, and you see, you gotta roll with the bad when you have it. But you, 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 you're doing this because you either enjoy helping people or you enjoy what you do. Um, and I right. think that if you come with that attitude, you'll be perfectly fine. You know, being a, being a police officer is, you know, it can be very rewarding. And yeah. I want police officers who are on this job who want to do that. And I want police officers on, around the nation on the job to be able to continue doing that. This is why we're getting rid of those bad apples. We have, we have to, we have to, we have right. And, and James, I, I do want to commend you and also the many police officers that are out there that are on the job, doing the job every single day to protect and to serve. Um, I'm not coming from the perspective, like all cops are bad, you know, just like with any job, you have your good seeds and you have your bad seeds, right? Like in any industry, you have bad doctors, you have good doctors, so on and so forth. So mm -hmm. I'm not coming from the perspective of, all cops are bad, but I do want to highlight and commend those that are doing it the right way. And I've seen many times where, you know, cops have saved friends lives of mine. And, mm -hmm. and I, and I remember hugging one and crying saying, thank you for saving his life, or thank you for avoiding this person going into a car knowing that he was drinking and not giving him shit, you know, like it's just certain things like that. So I, I commend those cops that are doing the honorable job that they took an oath to do, which is to protect and to serve. And you're definitely one of them. And before we close off, um, I just wanted to give you the floor. Is there any last pieces of thoughts, information, advice, anything that you would like to share with our listeners in regards to what's happening or just in general uh, about the police? 
Well, I would like to say basically that um, thank you for the opportunity given us so I can act and say these things and um, share these moments with you. Um, I would, you know, I think that um, our viewers should understand that basically there are good cops out there. There are quite a few good cops out there. And there are very few bad ones. And we need your help as a community to expose the bad ones. You know, you, you can do it simply by recording them and showing what's happening. And then that makes it more effective and easier for us to identify which ones they are. Because the thing is that we want the good ones to be only ones on this job. And, you know, I also think that um, there should be a standard to who should take this job. And, you know, you have the person who murdered uh, Mr. Floyd have multiple complaints against multiple agencies against him, and he was still able to become a, a police officer um, at a different agency where he, where he basically murdered um, Mr. Floyd. And, you know, I think that it is negligence on that police department allowing for something like that to happen. You know, based off the background checks or whatever they failed at doing. Um, I want you to also say, I want, you to people, I want people to really, really understand there are a lot of good cops. And we are with you. We understand where you're coming from. You know, we are appalled that this happened. We are also appalled that it took this long for them just to make an arrest. You know, and I feel that, that um, a lot of police officers feel the same way. Uh, a lot. I believe that. And, you know, and a lot of them would say if they were in that situation, it was there, they would have done something about it to mm -hmm. stop it from happening, to stop it from happening. And so, but, but I want you to continue supporting the good officers, the ones who, who try to help. And um, I want you to think about them, you know, when they, they go out there to try to help you and try to keep everyone safe. You know, they're doing that, they're leaving home from their families to do it for you. So you all can be safe. And mm -hmm. um, on that, you know, I want people to be safe. I want all my boys, uh, all boys and girls in to be safe, all my first responders to be safe, and you also to be safe, and you know, for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're doing. You know, you're, you're providing a platform for people to actually speak and actually, you know, get their ideas, thoughts, and feelings out there, you know, and I think that is much needed in the world today. So thank I appreciate you. it, and thank you very much. And, and thank you again for, for just showing up every single day doing, doing the good work. We appreciate you. We reward you and applaud you for your work. And we also reward and applaud those that are doing the good jobs every single day to protect and serve. So we appreciate you. We, we honor you. We honor those that are out there on the front line um, that are risking their lives every single day. And yeah, we, we commend you and for all the good cops that are doing what you guys are doing. So thank you. And I want to say, um, James, um, continue to do the good, good work and good fight. And, and I, want, I want you to genuinely be safe out there um, because you never know. Life is, life is interesting. It was interesting for when uh, George Floyd woke up that day and, and unexpectedly ended his day um, deceased. And we, we want you to uh, make sure that you go through all of your days uh, expecting the unexpected, but doing the best you can to... Uh, be the best boy in blue you can be. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. Thank you. So listeners, typically we have 
at the point of our shows called the death sentence where we kill or banish a word. But because of the topic that we are bringing to you this week, we decided to just not do our death sentence segment for this week, but instead have a moment where we remember the lives of those Black people that were slayed by police over the years. So Danny and I are not going to turn this into a hashtag anything. We are actually going to say their names and honor them on the show. Eric Gardner, John Crawford III, Michael Brown, Azeel Ford, Dante Parker, Michelle Cusseau, Laquan McDonald, Tanisha Anderson, Akai Gurley, Tamar Rice, Ruman Brisbane, Jeremy Reed, George Mann, Matthew Ajibade, Frank Smart, Natasha McKenna, Tony Robinson, Anthony Hill, Maya Hall, Philip White, Eric Harris, Walter Scott, William Chapman II, Alexia Christian, Brandon Glenn, Victor Manuel Lorosa, Jonathan Sanders, Freddie Blue, Joseph Mann, Salvado Elswood, Sandra Bland, Albert Joseph Davis, Darius Stewart, Billy Ray Davis, Samuel DeBoe, Michael Sabi, Brian Keith Day, Christian Taylor, Troy Robinson, Ashams Farrow Manley, Felix Kumi, Keith Harrison McLeod, Junior Prosper, Lamontez Jones, Patterson Brown, Dominic Hutchinson, Anthony Ashford, Alonzo Smith, Tyree Crawford, India Calder, Levante Biggs, Michael Lee Marshall, Jamar Clark, Richard Perkins, Nathaniel Harris Pickett, Benny Lee Tigner, Miguel Espanol, Michael Noel, Kevin Matthews, Betty Jones, Quintonio Legreer, Keith Chalrez Jr., Janet Wilson, Randy Nelson, Antroni Scott, Wendell Clestine, David Joseph, Callan Romore, Deson Perkins, Christopher Davis, Marco Loud, Peter Gaines, Torre Robinson, Darius Robinson, Kevin Hicks, Mary Trujillo, Demarcus Samir, Willie Tillman, Terrell Thomas, Seibel Smith, Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, Terrence Crutcher, Paul O'Neill, Alterior Woods, Jordan Edwards, Aaron Bailey, Ronnell Foster, Stephon Clark, Antoine Rost II, Botham Jean, Pamela Turner, Dominique Clayton, and Tatiana Jefferson.
Christopher Whitfield. Christopher McCorvey. Eric Reason. Michael Lorenzo Dean. Brianna Taylor. And George Floyd. Rest in power. We honor you. We speak your name. everyone. I'd like to welcome you to this guided ground down meditation. Today on our special episode, we talked about the injustice that we saw right in front of our eyes in 2020. A year where we have seen so much suffering because of COVID-19. And now in addition to seeing the injustice that has happened to George Floyd, and the public outcry that we see in the streets all over the world and all over the country. I know that a lot of people are coming to this guided meditation with a heavy heart, feeling that they've lost hope, that they've lost faith. So today's guided meditation is to honor the lives of those who have lost their lives at the hands of police officers who were unjustly murdered and profiled for their race and also to open up our hearts more and to give ourselves space so that we can come together in community and do what's right. So sit up nice and tall and close your eyes. Maybe you place both hands on your heart Take a deep breath in through the nose. Deep exhale out of the mouth. Another deep inhale through the nose. Deep exhale out of the mouth. And as you're taking deep inhales and deep exhales in through the nose and out of the nose, maybe you ask the universe, source energy, God, to open our hearts and spirits so that we can see the injustice and cruelty and say to ourselves, no more. As you're breathing in and out, I invite us to move our hearts and and spirit into actions of grace, actions of compassion, mercy, actions of hope and faith that one day equality will prevail. And as you're taking deep inhales and deep exhales, maybe you start to think about how we can eradicate the evils of pain and suffering, thinking that one another are separate from each other and then race dictates being lower than someone, seeing each other as equal. And that this moment, make yourself a promise that I will see and honor those I will see and honor all people, all colors, all backgrounds. And in times where we see facing hardship, where we see the face of moral and social justice come into question, I invite you guys that we should live with passion and live with purpose, live with intention, and live in the space of loving kindness and live in the space where we could, 
if we do come together as a community, as a collective, we can help the higher consciousness. As Martin Luther King said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So consider these moments in our lives as an invitation to return to the highest path. But this time right now is a calling to step into anew. And as you take some deep inhales and deep exhales, I invite you to come back into the space, come back into the body, bring the hands down on top of the thighs and gently open up your eyes. I thank you for joining me for this ground down guided meditation. My love and my heart goes out to everyone who is trying to say no more, whether it's using their platform, whether it's protesting. It's time to come together and elevate our higher level of consciousness. Thank you. And we look forward to having you tune in to next week's episode. Take care.